This is a podcast by Wellhouse Church, where we take a closer look and dig a little deeper into this week's sermon. What's going on, Bible nerds? We're talking about Acts 18 today and the story of Paul and Corinth. This is an interesting story. Um, You remember how I said that Acts 16 was kind of like a, a second turning point for who... Paul was going to focus on, right? Remember, we saw this big shift happen through the first half of the book where it was shifting from Jews to Gentiles. Yeah. Okay. Well, in 16, we see a massive shift where there becomes this huge influence on women and the way in which women are impacting the mission and message of the church. That shows up here again, and that shows up here in a real important way. Okay, I need that like alarm bells going off because I need you to recognize these things as we go through the text. So here we go. Beginning in 18. So Paul just finishes up in Athens, right? Last week we talked about Athens. And so 18.1 says, after this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. Okay, Corinth. Let's talk about the city of Corinth. Clayton, what do you know about the city of Corinth? Um, a kind of Greek religious hub. Um, and give me that second book from the left. Yep. Thank you. Kind of a Greek religious hub, um, but specifically for Aphrodite. Um, and of which the, um, temples that they worshiped in lots of sexual acts happening in worship of Aphrodite um, of which exploited lots of people. Mm-hmm. Yes, Corinth is uh, a port city. It's a very lucrative um, city. It's also massive. Yeah. Um, it is estimated to have had over 200,000 residences, residents at the time that Paul would have been there. Um. It's littered with wealth from the Peloponnesian um, port system and trade system that wanted to come through there. Um, And because it had, it's a port city and has all these trade routes and all of this passage and all of this foreign influence. um, Like just sex and temple worship and orgies and prostitution and all kinds of expressions of ancient sexuality that would have been very normal mm-hmm. back then. They seem yeah. real foreign to us now. Um, yeah, for sure. <clears throat> that's the city of Corinth. That is what Paul has just stepped into. There he found a Jew named Aquila. Okay, so note, it's a Jew that we've found mm. a very long way from home. Mm. A very long way from home. A native of Pontus who had recently come from Italy. Once again, a very long way from home. Mm-hmm. With his wife, Priscilla, 
because Claudius had ordered all Jews to leave Rome, Paul went to see them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them, and they worked together by trade. They were tent makers. Every Sabbath, he would argue in the synagogue and would try to convince Jews and Greeks. Okay. A tent maker, it, well, let me, let me start here. They order everybody to leave Rome, okay? And so Priscilla and Aquila are tent makers by trade. Same thing apparently that Paul was, which this is the only time that we ever get a reference of Paul's trade yeah. since he leaves like the Pharisee life. And tent maker is not really a great translation. Really, the best translation would be something like leather worker. Mm. Um, yeah, they most commonly made tents, but... They also made belts and sandals and all kinds of leather-based goods, bags. I mean, all kinds of stuff. Um, so it's really more of like a leather worker. Paul would have been, I mean, you would think about it like a crab. He's an artsy guy mm. um, in that kind of way. And so he stays with them. And every Sabbath, he goes into the synagogue and he argues, and, the, and Luke specifically points out, trying to convince Jews and Greeks. Notice, Luke always feels at this point that he has to specify just because Paul's with a Jew that he's still going for the Greeks. Like once again, Luke is constantly trying to show you that we're tipping the balance scales here. Yeah. Verse 5. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with proclaiming the word, testifying to the Jews that the Messiah was Jesus. When they opposed and reviled him in protest, he shook the dust from his clothes and said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. This is the second time we've seen Paul say, say a clause like this. Okay. Done with you people. Go into the Greeks. Excuse me. Then he left the synagogue and went to the house of a man named Titus Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the official of the synagogue, became a believer in the Lord together with all his household. And many of the Corinthians who heard Paul became believers um, and were baptized. One night, the Lord said to Paul in a vision, Do not be afraid, but speak, and do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one will lay a hand on you to harm you, for there are many in this city who are my people. He stayed there a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. I want to take a minute and talk about God's, Peter, or Paul's vision with mm -hmm. the Lord. What do you make up from that, Clayton? Do not be afraid, but speak and do not be silent. <laughs> I, so, obviously, like, keep going. I got you. Um, no one will lay a hand on you. There are many... People, many in this city who are my people, meaning there's Christians already there. Okay, but Paul just got there. Yeah. So 
He didn't say there's Christians. Mm-hmm. He said there's my people. So, ooh. Jews? Paul just got there. Yeah. So Jews? I don't think so. Paul doesn't think Jews are God's people anymore. He thinks they can be. I'm not sure what to interpret it, but it, it stands out to me that it's a bit ambiguous considering that Paul just showed up and he's been proclaiming there a little bit and the Lord comes to him and look at what the Lord says. The Lord gives him a statement of safety. Yeah. He says, do not be afraid, but speak and do not be silent. Go continue <clears throat> to proclaim and do all of these things, Yeah, which We've already seen that that very thing get Paul thrown in prison multiple times. So God, the Lord's command is a dangerous command. And yet the Lord grounds it with, for I am with you and no one will lay a hand on you to harm you because this translates it for, but I guarantee you that's a hot tea cloth or a henna Mm -hmm. cloth. I guarantee you that is a a statement of purpose. Why Mm -hmm. can they say that? For there are many in this city who are my people. If there's enough Christians in this city that already they can keep a mob from breaking out and arresting Paul and harming him, Paul don't need to stay, bro. There's something happening here in the way that the Lord is communicating to Paul that there's a way to be faithful to Yahweh and not have all the pieces of Jesus figured out yet. Mm. That's what we're about to see. Hmm. Well, we're about to see it with Apollos at the end of the chapter. Mm-hmm. We're not going to cover that today, but okay. that's the setup here, is that there's something about a people who are faithful to Yahweh, and yet they don't quite have it all figured out, and that's okay. Mm-hmm. Verse 12. But when Galileo was proconsul of Achaia, The Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him before a tribunal. They said, this man is persuading people to worship God in ways that are contrary to the law. Okay, let's specify here. Galileo is a proconsul of Achaia. That means he's a Roman official. Mm -hmm. He's not a Jewish official. And the Jews are bringing Paul before a Roman official just like Like they they did did Jesus. Jesus. Because they cannot kill someone. Mm -hmm. The Romans did not give them that power. That had to be commanded by the Romans. That's still their empire, right? So that's what they're trying to do here. And he says, worship God in ways that are contrary to the law, the Jewish law, Mm. not the Roman law. Right. Look at how different Roman government worked. Think about your Jesus story. Mm-hmm. Verse 14, just as Paul was about to speak, Gallio said to the Jews, if it were a matter of crime or serious villainy, I would be justified in accepting the complaint of you Jews. But since it is a matter of questions about words and names and your own law, see to it yourselves. I do not wish to be a judge of these matters. Wow. So he basically said, this is y'all problem. I don't care. I ain't about this. Y'all go take care of this peddly stuff on your own. Mm. A different Jesus' story would have been if that's how it would have went down, right? Mm. And to be fair, Matthew tells a version of the story where one Roman Roman official did say that. Now I go back to Pilate. I'm not dealing with this. It's also important to note that 
very different regions, right? Very far from each other. Yeah. Culture is going to be very different. And well, it's still the Roman Empire. It is still the Roman Empire, but there are more Jews in Jerusalem when Jesus' story is it's happening. It's true. It's true. It's true. It's true. So and there's Jew, more people. The Jew relationship would have been much more uh, connected in Jerusalem than yeah. it is in Corinth. Yeah. yeah, that's a fair point. Okay. Verse 16. And he dismissed them from the tribunal. <laughs> so I don't here. care. Go. Get out of here. Verse 17. Then all of them seized Sosthenes, which I need to point out, Sosthenes is an important character. Sosthenes is a co-author of 1 Corinthians. Okay. Close dude of Paul. Mm. Seized Sosthenes, the official of the synagogue, and beat him in front of the tribunal. But Gallio paid no attention to any of these things. So what you see here is like the Romans, they don't care what's happening amongst these Jews and Christians. Mm -hmm. We're about to see persecution from the Romans ramp up because by AD 70, Nero, the emperor of Rome, destroys the temple in Jerusalem. He's over all of them. So they're already starting to get a little fed up here. Verse 18. After staying there for a considerable time, Paul said farewell to the believers and sailed for Syria, accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila. Clayton. Okay. Would you please go back up and read verse 2 for me? There he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his, his wife Priscilla because Claudius had ordered all Jews to leave Rome. Um, do you notice anything different about the way in which they're communicated in verse 18? Priscilla is mentioned first. Oh, here we go. Here we go. Priscilla and Aquila are an important couple that are mentioned six times in the Greek New Testament. Of the times they are mentioned, Aquila is mentioned first three times. One of them is the introductory piece here, mm -hmm. which would have been standard mm -hmm. because it's man first, you know, connects him to everything, his land, all the things. Three other times, she is listed first. Hmm. And interestingly enough, it's always when they're doing crap. She's never listed first when she's not do when they as a couple are not doing or performing ministry. Hmm. She's also listed. Here's a teaser for next week. She's also listed first at the end of the chapter in verse 24 through 28 when they together correct the teachings of Apollos. Hmm. Oh, remember, I do not permit women to speak or have authority over men. First Timothy. Yeah, somebody should have told Priscilla and Aquila. <laughs> Verse 18. After staying there for a considerable time, Paul said farewell to the believers and sailed for Syria, accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila. At Centria, he had his hair cut, for he was under a vow. When they reached Ephesus... He left them there, 
But first he himself went into the synagogue and had a discussion with the Jews. When they asked him to stay longer, he declined. But on taking leave of them, he said, I will return to you if God wills. Then he set sail from Ephesus. When he landed at Caesarea, he went up to Jerusalem and greeted the church and then went down to Antioch. After spending some time there, he departed and went from place to place through the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. Clayton, remember how I was talking about the ways in which Luke is choosing to communicate the way in which God is interacting with people and the way in which believers are interacting with people? Specifically back with, um, there are many in this people, in this city that are my people. Mm-hmm. Notice at the end here, Paul is noted going place to place through the region of Galatia. That should ring a bell for you. Mm-hmm. Why should that ring a bell for you? Galatians. Galatians. The letter that Paul writes to the churches of Galatia. Paul, that's a... Some people would say that's as important, if not more of an important work of Paul than Romans. Mm -hmm. Uh, Galatians is a very important letter of Paul. And he's strengthening all the disciples. There's a difference that I see here between people that are God's people, my people, and people that are disciples. I'm not sure that I have a great answer based on this text for Mm. what that differentiation is. However, what I want to glean, the truth that I want to glean from noticing, this is a great point. We're going to come to places in the Bible where we don't know what truth to actually glean, right? Mm. I notice that there's a glaring difference in the way that God is talking about these people and the types of people that must be here And yet, then Luke choosing to say that Paul is going around strengthening all of the disciples. There is a distinct language difference. And that means that one of them is different. Context tells me that my people is a lesser status than disciple. Mm -hmm. Right? I've seen how disciples have been used throughout the book of Acts. My people is not a common phrase. It's used here. That seems more of an ambiguous, open, kind of loving, gracious term. Disciple means the people who are on it and trying to get better. But I don't know what that line is. Yeah. Right. The the line between those is not the truth that this text is trying to communicate to me, the Christian that's living today. The truth that this differentiation is trying to make me, the Christian that's living today, understand is that I need to make space for both people. I need to make space for people that fit the category of disciple. And yet I also need to make space for people that fit under the category of my people. Um, That is a unique thing for Luke to design in the artistry of writing this piece because you also have, also contained in this text, you have the Jew and Greek differentiation Mm. but you also have the male and female reversal right aquila starts this and then priscilla takes over in verse 18 and she carries over in verse 26 
He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained the way of God to him more accurately. You see, if there's one thing that I think Acts chapter 18 is trying to get us to understand is that Luke is now putting faces and names to what was previously objectified by words and titles. Gentiles and women. Paul's now put, I mean, Luke is now putting faces to names and making people. We're no longer objectified. This is a real person I have to look at. This is a real person I have to deal with telling them you can't do these things. And yet, Paul seems to be the one encouraging them. Paul shows up in Corinth and meets these Jews. He works with them. He spends 18 months with them and comes out And he's like ready to send them on mission as well. And Priscilla seems like the one that's leading the charge. She seems like the one that's far more gifted of the two. Because 18 is trying to ground that reversal that we've seen the entire book of Acts. Hmm. That it's this story is about the person that you don't think it's about. That may have come to its most beautiful expression in Acts 8 with the Ethiopian eunuch. But at each point, the book of Acts is constantly asking us, who's next? And asking us who's next in a way that... When we say who's next, it's like, it's either an obligatory, like, oh, what what do I got to get through to get to the next one, right? Like, you go to a barbershop, next, like... Just one, one after the next. You can also use who's up next in a demeaning way, a degrading way. Like, a, uh, oh, who's up next so I can chop them down? Who's up next so I can obliterate them? Who's up next so I can destroy them? Right, whatever. When I say who's up next, in the way that the book of Acts is asking us as Christians to think about who's next, I think what the book of Acts is asking us to do, and it's grounding itself in Acts 18 here, with these, this beautiful, artful, great reversal that we're seeing uh, and will come to fruition next week, is who's the next person that I don't think the gospel should be for that it is for? Who's the next one that I should be pursuing? Who's the next other? Who's the next outsider that I think God doesn't love? I think that's the person that the book of Acts is asking us to make space for.